You can either work in the business or you can work on the business. They have the knowledge and the skill to be successful. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow has yet to come. Dive all in on the next chapter of your life. Welcome to The Boutique with Collective 54, a podcast for founders and leaders of boutique professional services firms. For those that are not familiar with us, Collective 54 is the first mastermind community dedicated exclusively to helping you grow, scale, and exit your pro-serve firm. My name is Greg Alexander. I'm the founder, and I'll be your host today. And today, we're going to talk about scaling beyond a lifestyle business by building a sales engine. And what I hope to accomplish today is to give those listeners the courage to make the investments required to go beyond a lifestyle business, particularly by investing in sales. It takes a lot of courage to do so, and it's a big inflection point. And getting through that inflection point requires uh, lots of courage and skill, and hopefully we'll be able to share some of that with you today. And we're very lucky to have a fantastic role model who was in the middle of this. His name is Hamid Akbari, and he is going to uh, share with us a little bit about his journey. And he's a member of Collective 54, and he's in the middle of this right now. So, uh, Welcome, Hamid, and would you please give a proper introduction to the audience? Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for having me on this show. Uh, this is Hamid. Uh, my company, Blanc Labs, is serving uh, mid-sized enterprises, typically defined around 500 and higher employees, primarily the in the financial service industry, typically, you know, financial services company at about $10 billion asset under management and above. Uh, we started a few years ago, around five years ago, and uh, uh, we're we are a technology boutique. So we're serving our clients by helping them, the technology helping them reimagine the future, transform themselves, and grow from there. Okay, very good. All right, let me set this up a little bit before I jump into the questions that I have. So startups become boutiques by having the founder or the partners generate referrals. And then boutiques become market leaders by building a commercial sales engine. That's when they go beyond being a lifestyle business. And then someday when you go to sell your firm, potential acquirers are going to want to see this in place. You know, they want to see that the sales process has the ability to scale. And there's an inflection point that all boutiques run, run into head on. And that's when sales generation happens by the employees and not by the founder or founders. Young pre-scale firms do not invest in building a professional sales engine because they don't have to. The founder or the experts have got large personal networks, and these personal networks expand as they gain more exposure to their niche, and then they can harvest these networks for business, and successful projects lead to happy clients. Happy clients lead to more word of mouth, and word of mouth leads to more referrals. More referrals leads to more business, and this virtuous cycle, so to speak, produces enough business for quite a long time. The founder model can carry the firm through, let's say, the first five years or so. But then sales flatlines. And this is the inflection point that we're going to talk about today. Now, why is this? Well, there's only so many hours in the day. And the founder or co-founders are either selling work or delivering work. And there's a constraint. There's a time constraint. And when, when a founder reaches this point, there's really two options. So option A is that the is the founder-led model, 
And this means really adding more partners to the equation, recruiting expensive partners who bring with them their own personal networks, and then you repeat the cycle over and over again. The problem with that is that to recruit partners, you got to dilute your equity pool and profits get distributed to the owners. So there's a price to pay for that. Option B is the opposite. And that is don't recruit more partners, equity holders with personal networks, but rather build a professional sales model. And this has its own pros and cons. The biggest pro is you keep all the equity. And once you get through this expensive investment and you get on the other side of it, things are really good. But the process of doing it can be difficult. So we're going to talk to Hamid today about how he's going through this right now. And it's a really interesting role model. So Hamid, would you maybe expand upon what I just shared and tell everybody exactly where you are in this journey and, and how you got to this point? Absolutely. Exactly. As you've said, a few years ago, when we started, we primarily kind of like uh, promoted our services through our network. So we landed on the first few clients through people who knew me, know myself or know my senior members of the team or they were friend of the friend. So to referral, we landed on the first few clients. It was obviously very expensive to build a commercial sales and marketing team. We did not have enough revenue and profit to invest in a commercial team. So I took it on myself as well as my senior team to reach out to network to land on the first few clients. Once we landed the first few clients, really the entire focus was deliver significant value to those clients because there's no point to bring new clients if you can't maintain your existing client and keep them happy. So we invest a lot of time and effort and then invest a lot of capital in you know, like making sure they get most value from our technology services. And then from there, we start expanding our services because landing on a major client is no easy thing. Once we landed, not only we wanted to keep them happy, we wanted to understand what other pain points they have. And among the pain points, what are the pain points we can serve them better than anyone else? That allowed us to expand our business with those clients and turn, say, a three-month contract to a, a longer-term contract and you know, let's let's say two hundred thousand dollar contract to a million and so forth. That gave us uh, the, the the scale and the team size and the capital to think beyond the next level. And and that was about how you bring more clients like this one. And as you said, each of us uh, will kind of like tap out of our existing referral network. There's only a finite number of people. I can know personally, obviously, and my senior team can know personally. So that's where about the time I started to think about and also engage my senior team to think about how we should scale, how we can scale beyond what we are today. And obviously that requires not only expanded, expanding your business with the existing client, but also acquiring new clients. And I can elaborate further, Greg, on uh, what journey we took on to be able to attract new clients. That's a great setup, and thank you for sharing that. As I understand it, you're about 18 months into this journey of uh, right. you know try, trying to bring on these these uh, next set of anchor accounts, if you will. So what have you learned in the last 18 months? So one of the things I've learned is that uh, from process perspective, there's a process perspective and team perspective. From a team perspective, obviously, 
uh, it's no easy thing to, to build a commercial team. And I define commercial team by a sales team, people who can build a relationship and sell directly, a marketing team, because that's also required to make sure that the clients see the value prop clearly. And in our case, a partnership alliance team, because in technology, we can't do it alone. We need to rely on big as well as mid-sized partner to offer the best value to the client. So the first thing I learned is that to build a team that is a good fit for, for our culture, and that would be ex like external hire, is no easy thing. It requires really thoughtful definition of job description, thoughtful definition of KPI, really think about what it takes for this field to be successful because when you hire someone, you want, you want to make sure you set that person up for success, that person's uh, hit the quota, you know, take home the right competence, so forth. And that requires a lot of experimenta ex experimentation as well as a lot of uh, a lot of uh, working after the, you have the right hire, obviously. The second thing on the process, I, I learned that landing on new major client is no easy thing as well. You need to break down that big problem to smaller chunks. For example, one of the things we, we did is that, you know, how to focus on the first step of the funnel, bringing those new leads. How to turn those leads uh, to the next state of the funnel so that we have a discovery, so that we can showcase our value prop to the next client. And then it's about you know how to close and how to want to land it on that account at that new client, how to how to actually expand the business with that client, what other offering we can put on the table to really expand our business with those uh, clients as well and so forth. So really it's a team on the team size. I learned a lot about how to build a team. And I see I'm learning because we're growing our team as well. And on the process as well. I learned a lot by looking at that complex problem of sales, which is really not an easy thing to sell to many similar clients, break it down to chunks, and kind of try to conquer each stage of that process uh, quarter at a time so that uh, we, we nail it and we can scale beyond a mid-size business. So I want to probe on the team a little bit and also ask for further commentary regarding experimentation. And the reason for my line of questioning here right now is when I speak to members of Collective 54 who are on this journey, they, they have the initial courage to try to scale beyond a lifestyle business. And they know that to do so, they've got to build this commercial sales and marketing engine. And they have the courage to invest the dollars and then they run into some trouble. You know, the first hire isn't the right one or the second hire isn't the right one, et cetera. And they give up too early. And that's a mistake because most of our members are domain experts as you are, and maybe they didn't grow up in sales and marketing. So it's it's realistic to think that you're not gonna get it right the first time. So in thinking about this as an experiment, my question for you would be, what advice would you have for the members to set up the experiment correctly so that if they don't succeed the first time, they don't quit? So that's a very good question. Um, I think really it has two parts. Number one is a mindset. So I think building a commercial team for scale is not a quick thing. So we need to set our mindset that it's gonna, it's gonna take like quite a bit of time. So we need to be patient around it. We need to trust the team. We need to give it some time for it to actually like fire on all cylinder and get to break even and also generate significant amount of profit. So if we're fixing fixing our eyes on this very, very quick or quick ROI and very, very quick sales, we may not get there. 
if you're building a new team, if you're building it for the first time. That's our own mindset, obviously. The second thing on the team size, on the experimentation is uh, the first part of uh, the challenge is that find the right people. And honestly, it's not an easy thing. So if you had a role in the past that has worked, replicating that high and similar people may not be that difficult. But building a sales team for the first time, building a marketing team for the first time, uh, require, require not only being thoughtful, but some experimentation. Because we need to make sure these people join our boutique for the right motivation. It's very different from joining Microsoft or a massive enterprise. So do they have the right motivation? Do they understand the KPI? Do you understand what it takes to succeed? Can we set them up for succeed? Are, are they the right fit for the culture? And most importantly, do they have transferable skill that, you know, because they have never worked in a boutique like this, each of these boutiques are kind of like my boutique, for example, kind of like a unique. So do you have enough transferable skill and smarts to transfer their skill set and grow from there? So I think that's uh, that's one part. And as thoughtful as the person is in trying to select the right person, because behind the fourth for the first time for a sales or marketing team or partnership team, uh, that's an experiment, right? And if it's not working, obviously, so it's in a way it's it's a paradox, right? On the one hand, we've all heard that hire slowly, fire quickly. If it's not working out, we need to be very quick in terms of hiring the right person. The other part of this paradox is that we also need to trust trust the team, give them time to prove themselves. So, so how do how do we manage this paradox? What are the KPIs? What are the leading KPIs so that we know this is working? We're on the right track. We're making progress. We need to give it more time. We need to keep learning. Versus this specific hire will never make it in this company, obviously. And the decision not always is trivial and easy. So that's on the team side. Now on the process side, to build a scalable sales process, you know, bring the right tool, right process to qualify leads and so forth. Uh, that second piece as well, there's quite a bit of learning. If you haven't done sales and marketing before, like I haven't, haven't done it before, it means that we're open to learning. Obviously, we can go to colleague and others as well. But there are certain best practices that we can follow so that the learning becomes organizational learning and we become better at you know kind of like building the sales funnel and maybe it's very different from every like from firm to firm but really the, the idea is, at least my idea is that like we need to we need to tackle it one at a time right we need to tackle the big problem sales break break it down to smaller part and every month every quarter solve a piece of the puzzle until i finally we finally make it and that's how we did it I built a sales team, initially the first hire, and I made it really neat for that salesperson. I did not give him the mountain. I give him like a piece of the offering and I keep building and expanding on the sales team, on the marketing team, on the partnership team, and on organizational learning so that they make incremental progress uh, toward their goals. Very good. I love the emphasis on building the process and the experimentation. I mean, you know, for those that are listening that are in the IT services space as Amit is, sales and marketing is a process, just like developing a piece of software is a process. And if you can break it down to the fundamental tasks and think about gating the process and leveraging the body of knowledge that's out there right now, it can get a lot easier. Um, it's very well-worn territory, building a commercial sales and marketing team inside of a pro-serve boutique that's been done over and over again. So if you haven't done it before yourself, you know, don't go it alone. Tap into those that have done it before. I want to come to the next 
obstacle that I hear, which is, let's say that I'm a founder of a boutique and I've gotten myself to some success and I'm making a lot of money. I like what I'm doing because I enjoy the, you know, the the practice of my craft, if you will. Um, where's the funding come from? You know, how do I invest in this? Do I take it out of my pocket? Do I use operating profits to fund this? Do I go raise capital? How did you fund this? That's another good question. Um, so it it really depends on the the offering model. Right. So if what we're selling, the offering, the service offering or solutions we have is not very profitable, it might be difficult to generate the fund to justify to invest in sales and marketing. In my case, we 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 made our offering and we, we sold our offering at a price point and we made our offering in terms of value to the client so attractive for the client that we could generate like a reasonable amount of profit to invest in growth. And then we keep investing on more solution and offering to existing clients. That means that the total contract value, the length of the value, the length of the length of those contracts, the value of those contracts, and the customer lifetime value was significant enough to justify investing sales and marketing team. It also means that those contracts, both size and value and profit, gave us the oxygen to be able to invest in our own growth. Uh, invest in, 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 in our growth, both investing in the in IP and new offerings so that they serve the customers better, as well as uh, the dollar value available to invest in a commercial team. Uh, number one, it gives us cash to invest in our growth, including investing in a commercial team. And number two, it justifies ROI on that investment commercial team because we know the lifetime value of a new client is very significant. So as expensive it is to invest in a commercial team, the ROI will justify it for a scale. Yep. So the lesson for those that are listening is you're probably asking, well, when do I do this? Well, you do this after you've established a service offering and an ideal client profile that allows you to earn a substantial amount of profit so that you can redirect that profit, that earned profit, towards an investment in building out a commercial sales engine. If you have not done that yet, if you're still struggling with profit margins, or maybe the lifetime value of a client is not where it needs to be, it's going to be tough to do this. So tackle that first, as Hamid has done, and then use those dollars um, to invest in the commercial sales engine. Okay, Hamid, I have one more question for you, and that is this issue of temptation. I know that's a strange term to use on a business podcast such as this, but the temptation of the founder who's running a highly profitable lifestyle business is to pull all the money out of the business and stick it in the bank account. The temptation is to not reinvest those dollars into building our, our commercial team. And when that happens, when we fall victim to that temptation, we get trapped in a lifestyle business. We never break through to become a boutique at scale and to build an asset that someday we might be able to sell for the real dollars. So how did you resist that temptation? Where did your courage come from to scale beyond a lifestyle business? So it starts with a vision. All of us, when we found a company, we have a vision. And if we don't have one, that's a problem. We need to go back to the whiteboard and build that vision, either single-handedly or with a team. And with the vision, we paint a picture of the future. Where you want to be? What do you want to achieve? And that's like a guiding star for us to make the decision. That's number one. 
Now, if the vision is to have a fairly small lifestyle company, well, then that's okay to withdraw the profit. But if the vision is build something more scalable, then it's then it's questionable to withdraw the profit to turn to lifestyle. Then when we we have the we have the vision for scaling. The second, the, the, the other side of the coin with the vision is that the confidence. It's easy to have a vision, but be very scared and frightened that we can't achieve it. We also need faith and confidence in our vision, obviously. And the faith and confidence, I need to be a bit more data-driven, need to be a bit more market-driven. So if I, if I or any founder have a vision to achieve uh, you know, a certain outcome in a certain number of years, uh, the, the hard work of building that confidence if actually doing the hard homework of figuring out how we can realize that vision. Like you said a few minutes ago, like uh, who is the ideal customer profile? Like how do we serve them? What's their pain point? How do we differentiate? Once we have confidence that this ideal customer profile have a true pain point for which they're willing to pay, and we have a real value prop that we can serve them better than anyone else along those offering, then we have the confidence. And then we can communicate that to the team, we can communicate that to the client, and then we can overcome the temptation of withdrawing money because simply we're scared that body will fail or we're scared that the vision will, will never realize because I figured out it's easy to have a vision, but if you don't have the hard work to build a roadmap toward achieving that vision, then it's become hard to have that confidence. And then it's easy to get tempted by like short-term opportunities. Yeah. Well, listen, this is fantastic. I could go on and on forever. I got about 10 more questions to ask you, but we'll we'll save those for the live Q&A session when we get together with the other members. But I mean, I wanted to make sure that I, I publicly thank you for your contribution today. The way these collectives work is we make deposits into the knowledge bank so we can all benefit from that. And uh, from time to time, we're able to make withdrawals as well. So today you made a big deposit in our knowledge bank on a subject that is of particular interest to most of our members. So on behalf of the members, Hamid, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Greg, for having me. Okay, so for those that are in professional services and wanted to belong to a community and learn from great people like Hamid, consider applying to Collective 54, and you can find us at collective54.com. And if you want to read more about this subject and others like it, pick up a copy of my book, The Boutique, how to start, scale, and sell a professional services firm. You can find that at collective54.com or on Amazon. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to our next episode.